This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Shelby Mathis here with the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, and I have on a special guest, Clint Coons from Anderson Business Advisors. He's my partner, and we do these uh, tax and asset protection events every month. We always dive into things, but what I wanted to do today is bring him on specifically to go over some things that are affecting asset protection and real estate investing for 2023. And specifically, I want to go over what are the changes, what do we need to be aware of uh, in 2023? So first off, welcome, Clint. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, this this should be fun. Clint and I have been practicing together for, what, 25 years now or some really long number. But Clint is an expert on the asset protection side. I tend to spend most of my time on the tax side and uh, more of the legacy planning. But uh, today we really want to zero in. And there's this thing called the Corporate Transparency Act. and Everybody's kind of a buzz about it. Is this something that's happening in 2023? And what do people need to know about this thing called the Corporate Transparency Act? Yeah, I mean, it is really important, just like all things about tax and asset protection, as you stated and before I get there, I just want everyone to know that, you know, what you and I are covering today, if they want to learn more about this in detail, because we're so limited on time, we talk, we're going to have about 20 minutes here, uh, check out the show notes. Uh, if they want to join us on our tax and asset protection workshop, we got a link there, and it's going to go more in detail as to what I'm talking about right now, which to your question has to do with the Corporate Transparency Act. And if you're not aware of it, this is something you better figure out sooner rather than later, because this is going to affect all business entities. And even though it's gone into effect currently, it's not hitting any business entities this year, but you got to start preparing for it. And what it basically means is this. If you have an LLC, corporation, limited partnership, any type of business entity and how you might hold it, that interest either directly or indirectly, you're going to have to report to the federal government the fact that you own it, turn over your your personal information, copy of your driver's license, because they want to track who is involved with business entities because they're concerned about money laundering that they say is taking place through business structures of which they don't know who the beneficial owners are. So so it is going to impact us all in this industry, and uh, it's something you got to be aware of. So it, it's basically reporting. Is it FinCEN that you're reporting it to, or is it some other agency? Yeah, you're reporting to FinCEN, and here's the, the – the common misconception, I see a lot of people that are hitting me up uh, on the videos that I've been creating here saying, well, anonymity is dead. Now that the government has this information, everyone's going to know about our structures. And that's not true because they're holding this information. Now, granted, it could be hacked by China at any time, but they're going to hold this information private. And the only way you can gain access to it is with a subpoena. And so they're going to limit it to governmental agencies that can subpoena this information if one of these business entities they they think is engaged in any type of money laundering and wrongdoing. So it would be available from that standpoint, but it's not available for the general public. As you brought up FinCEN, there isn't a FinCEN database where all you got to do is log in and say, what the hell does uh, Toby Mathis own? And then it'll bring up all your entities. That will not happen. So all the strategies, and we're going to talk about some of them that we're using it's not going to impact that. So the Corporate Transparency Act is basically reporting beneficial interest of like an LLC or whatnot. Anybody else get hit by this thing? Like, hey, if I'm a lawyer and I'm setting these up or if I'm one of those corporate services online and stuff, do, do I have reporting requirements too? Oh, yeah. We're all going to feel the pinch. 
You set up a business entity. That is, if you file the business entity, you have to report. If you're at a law firm that employs people that set up business entities, you got to report not only on the person who does the filing, but the attorney that oversees them. If you lend money to someone and you have the ability to step in and convert that debt to equity, or you can exercise control over that company, you got to report about yourself. And so there's lots of individuals that are going to get wrapped up into this. And so We've been telling people, you know, we talk about this on our uh, our tax and asset protection event. Uh, and again, hit that show link. Check out the show link uh, notes below for that link. You're going to want to be ahead of it. And, and one of the things that I've been having conversations with this last couple of months with individual investors that people aren't thinking about is this impacts all entities. So if you set your entity up this year, last year, 10 years ago, you got to report and more importantly, what you need to be considering is that operating agreement you have, because I think it's good practice to go back. It's one of the things, you know, you and I have been discussing and we're doing right now with our operating agreements. We're incorporating the language in there to make them FinCEN compliant so that we ensure that when we have that LLC out there, that we have the requisite language in there to, to make sure that the beneficial interest holders are going to be protected. And I think that's a, an area where a lot of people are going to get tripped up on. So if I'm hearing you right, this is not a big thing where like plaintiff's lawyers aren't going to be able to use this to to find new victims to to shake down. This isn't like if I have a tenant and they're mad at me that they can hand my name to a to a to a lawyer who's going to be able to go pull up and see anything I'm a beneficiary of. Like that's not what this is. This is just going straight to the federal government. How is this different than like the Bank Secrecy Act or any of the Patriot Act provisions where there was disclosures or that financial institution, for example, had to get this information? Well, the financial institution, I mean, that's the funny thing about this. They already collect the information. The IRS has a lot of this information because all these entities file tax returns. And so if somebody wants to commit fraud, they're going to commit fraud no matter what. But our government somehow operates under the, the, this false assumption that if we pass a law, then people will stop doing this. If that was the case, then we would no longer have any robberies, no murders, nobody would break the speed limit. So yeah. the fact of the matter is, it, I think it's, it's an undue burden. It's a way for the government to make a few more bucks off of people. It's a way for them to hold their feet to the fire because if you fail to do it, there are civil as well as potential criminal remedies that come from this. So it's something we're just all going to have to get used to, just like what you brought up with the Patriot Act and the Secrecy Act, the things that you and I could do back in the day when we first started, when we set up business entities. I mean, that all changed. And over time, you know, you have those people that don't like it and they're going to push back against it, but you're eventually going to bend to the will. And you're going to yeah, do what like they ask. The good old days of being able to, to walk somebody to the gate at an airport or that you could set up a bank account without uh, without giving a blood sample. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, you mentioned government and uh, let's shift gears here to the governments. There's there's a lot of things that people aren't aware of uh, that 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 hit them and specifically things that states like to do, like you have franchise taxes, you have uh, transfer taxes. The states are going to be looking for money right now, especially as we are kind of in a recession and uh, the economy is a little bit sputtering and they start looking. What are ways that people can avoid getting hit with some of the biggies? Because like we know some of the big states, but what are some things that you could do, that you can do structurally to yeah. avoid getting hit by those uh, excess fees? Well, I mean, the thing is, is that that's where we talk about strategic entity planning and understanding how entities work and how that state 
assesses taxes or fees on business entities. So one of the things that we do here at Anderson that you and I talk about all the time on our tax and asset protection event is the use of trusts. Mm-hmm. A lot of investors are not aware of the fact that trusts oftentimes are not subject to a state franchise tax, or if there are any filing fees on that trust, they are de minimis. And so you still have to pay income taxes on the income generated, but you're not paying anything at the state level. So it's, it significantly decreases the cost of setting up a asset protection structure. And the way you can use trust, which is something that, that you and I both uh, firmly believe in, is you can use them, you can set them up with anonymity. So if you hold real estate, let's say, in a trust, and somebody looks at title of that property, they won't see your name associated with it because of the way we like to set up trust for our clients. You can hold personal property in trust. You can run a business out of a statutory type of trust. There's many different forms that an investor can use or a business owner can use if they're looking for anonymity and they're trying to keep their costs down. And that's the best way to go. So let me do this. So there's a lot of listeners. They're probably in states with franchise fees. They're probably the the worst offenders, California. Mm -hmm. Can you avoid that 800 bucks? Yeah, uh, move. Yeah, just move. (laughs) Get out of there. So the question is, can you avoid it? Yes. Can you avoid it legally? Yes, you can. Because there are some ways that people, you know, they'll do it and, you know, that's on them. But the way we like to do it here at Anderson is set it up. We like to use statutory trust and land trust. If you're a California resident, then you should not be a member in a limited liability company outside the state of California. Because if you did, it would be subject to taxation in California by the fact that you're a member. We can solve that issue for you with the right type of trust to put you use it as a blocker entity. If you own real estate in California and you want to set up a limited liability company, which is the prudent thing to do, well, stop. Think about that. How about if we could get you the same type of protection that the LLC offers, but without the tax? Would that interest you? And I think so. And that's why, you know, at our event, we, you know, we spend a fair amount of time for California investors showing them how to structure their real estate, how to structure their uh, not only in-state, but out-of-state real estate to, to keep those taxes low. What are some other states that have like the transfer tax, doc stamps, franchise tax, crazy high transfer taxes, just th- th- where where you're able to avoid them? Yeah, so Tennessee is a big one. Um, that's going to come into play. Massachusetts is going to be another one. Pennsylvania can really trip you up if you don't know what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just a few that, that come to the top of my mind where we've worked with investors that will come to us, sit down, we'll do a strategy session with them, and we'll analyze their taxes and and their situation, and we'll spot that. We'll say, hey, do you know that you could save $24,000 a year just by making a few tweaks? And they're so shocked that their local CPA wasn't up on this. They didn't know it. And it's not a knock on them, because many times, again, the People that we work with are out. They invest outside of their home state, so their their local professional does not understand the nuances. Like Florida, for example, you have a doc stamp if you transfer real estate into an LLC. You don't have one here in Washington State. So a good friend of mine is an attorney. He actually did that for his client. Said, "Oh, your Florida property will put it into an LLC." Then he called me up and he said, "Hey, my clients asked me to pay eighteen hundred dollars in doc stamps. What happened?" And I said. You didn't talk to me is what happened before you did it. What were you thinking? So those are some of the issues that you run into. And that's why you shouldn't do this on your own. 
Yep. And, and it's, you have to actually do it. I think you, you said something pretty, pretty, pretty intelligent there about like you have a, you have an attorney who in, they're doing the very best they can, but they haven't done it. So like, like here in, in, in Clark County and, and Nevada, you can put property in an LLC and there's no tax, but if you take it out, they transfer tax you. So how do you get around it? You use a, use a land trust. Anybody who's done it and got hit by that once has done it, but most attorneys have never done it. It's like they, maybe a client has done it and they're like, Oh, you just pay it. They have no idea that you could actually avoid what's, what ends up being hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in, in excess tax. All right. Let's talk about uh, some of them crazy lawyers out there and, and some of the things that they like to do. When the economy shifts, we start seeing a little uh, you know, uptick in some of the frivolous suits. You see more breach of contracts, see more foreclosures, you see people in hot water. What can you do or what are you going to tell your clients to do as an investor to avoid those people? How do you keep from getting hit? And if you do get hit, how do you minimize it? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that attorneys like to get paid. And so if you can set yourself up in a way where you do not appear to be a paycheck, to an attorney, then they're less likely to want to target you. The example I always like to use is the, you know, the street bum that's laying out there, you know, whatever the, the drug gets sitting on the street. If you're walking by and they get up and they smack you, right? Are you going to run to an attorney's office right away and say, hey, listen, I want you to go sue that guy. I think he was on First Avenue. Sometimes he's up on third. Let's go sue him because I, I saw that he had a grocery cart and he had a sleeping bag and we'll take those in compensation. It's not going anywhere. Well, how about if we could set up a structure that would give you the same appearance to an attorney? That means that they looked at you when there's someone sitting there saying, hey, I want to sue Toby. And then the attorney runs an asset search on Toby Mathis and they say, listen, you know, we can bring this claim, but Toby doesn't own anything. And if we go forwards, normally I would take this on a contingency fee basis, but there's too much risk here. So I'm going to need a $15,000 retainer. That takes a lot of air out of that balloon of that potential plaintiff who has thought, well, this is going to be a free payday. They're just going to roll over and I'm going to collect money. So what we want to do is we, the way we create that strategy or, or give you that appearance is by keeping your name off of title, keeping your name off of business entity so people don't know what you have. But then you want to take one step deep because that's a smoke screen. So we go deeper and we want to separate out all your assets into different structures so that if they're able to get up into something, because you just have a, a new attorney, it's like, hey, I need to get some experience here. So he takes it regardless of whether or not he thinks he's going to get a recovery. But then what you run into is the fact that you've limited their recovery to just that one asset that potentially created the harm. And so now all of your other assets still continue to perform and function the way they did. All that money is going to be preserved. Maybe it's because you changed your standard of living and maybe your spouse quit working. You're saving for retirement. You're sending your kids to school. Whatever the, the ifs are why you're doing or the whys why you're doing this, that's going to stay protected and you've limited your overall risk of loss. And so when we're looking at, at an individual, we want to make sure that we're isolating all of their assets, building walls and moats and things around them. So if anyone goes down, you haven't put your whole financial jeopardy in, uh, at risk. What do you say to the guy that says, hey, my, my you know, I, I, I could just get insurance for that? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's, a, that's a, a misconception that a lot of people have because it's born from inexperience. You know, you and I are avid real estate investors. Our portfolio extends over 300 properties in multiple different states. And, and what we've learned over the years is that insurance, although you need it, oftentimes it doesn't cover the types of claims that you're going to run into as either a business owner or a real estate investor. 
And, and there's the disconnect. People always think of it in terms of my tenant. It's a slip and fall. It's a, a personal injury on the property. But there's so many other claims now that have been manufactured by attorneys to hold landlords responsible. I mean, the simple one is always going to be discrimination, right? That somebody came out to look at your property and the reason you didn't rent it to them was because you're discriminated against their sex orientation, whatever they, they, they call it now. And the real reason is they didn't have any money and you didn't want to be in the situation where you have to evict them a couple months later uh, for non-payment of rent. So you went with the stronger candidate. That's the problem that people run into when they adopt that mindset. Well, insurance is going to protect me. Insurance isn't going to protect you for a lot of the claims that will typically be brought against real estate investors. So it's up to you to protect yourself. Yeah. So you're just saying it, you're not going to say don't have insurance, but you're going to say it's probably not going to protect you when the chips are down. You want to make sure you have something that stops it from getting any further and going in and taking everything you own. Yeah. Have I you call ever, entities this a better form of insurance. That's why you're putting them together. Have you ever seen somebody lose everything they had because they followed the advice of somebody else, uh, maybe a CPA or another attorney where maybe they did just try to rely on the insurance? You know, the funny thing is, is that teaching events for over 23 years to investors and small business owners, every event without a doubt. And I don't know how many, probably you know, close to a thousand events that I've spoken at. People would always come up to me, as you know this as well, at break and say, I used to, right? That's how they would start. And then you fill in the rest and it would typically said, I'm starting over at the end. And so there's always that in between that, that wiped them out. And and in many instances, it's because they didn't have the knowledge that you and I teach on our, our tax and asset protection event. So they didn't know what the risk were, or they were dealing with someone who adopted that principle that we just talked about that, hey, just load up on insurance and you're going to be protected. And then they tell, then you find out that the claim that's brought against you wasn't covered by your policy. And so you're out on your own. It's a client of mine down in California. I mean, they had a, a nasty situation occurred where two people were severely injured. And then they found out that their insurer was not going to cover them because the valet company that was responsible did not list my client as an additional insured under their policy. And, and their insurer pulled it up and said, listen, if you ever brought out a valet company, look at here on page 14 mm -hmm. in 10 point font, it says we got to be additional insured. And they said, well, that's grounds for non-coverage. And so things like that happen. And it's unfortunate that um, it could have been reversed had they just had the knowledge ahead of time and known what were the proper steps to take. And even if you don't take them, at least you know. Yeah, and here's one of the things people don't uh, fully appreciate is even if you have some insurance, which I'm not saying don't carry insurance, I'm saying understand what insurance is for. It's really, you know, lawyer insurance. It's actually, it pays for your lawyer, generally speaking. They'll deplete that policy and uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's not necessarily, hey, it's going to keep everything away, but it's a lot of time and energy. So in the, uh, I'm just going to ask you, I don't know the answer off the top of my head, but in the in the case you just mentioned, where there was a valet company, if I'm not mistaken, were there family members involved in that and some had been structured and some had not? Yeah, there, there were. And so when, I, when we started working with this, these individuals, these clients, I told them, hey, do this. And they said, well, I, then I don't need insurance. I said, no, you still got to keep your insurance because the insurance is the carrot that we're going to dangle to get you out of a lawsuit if it ever comes up. And now when you say that to someone, they don't understand what you're referring to. Well, when this harm all came about, 
and the plaintiffs were going after him. I just shared with you that the insurance company said that they weren't going to cover him. This is one of those instances where the insurance company did the actual right thing and they chose to cover them with a reservation if they chose to exercise it. And so it changed the whole negotiating posture because the people that were suing them couldn't find any assets in our client's name. So they assumed they didn't have much. The second thing that they, the negotiating tactic we use is, listen, we have a policy. It's worth, a, let's say uh, it's, we got a million dollars here. Now, if you take our policy limits today, you walk away with a million. And I know you want 15 million, but we, we have no assets and we've just got a million dollars here. Or you want to play this dance. We're happy to do this. But understand that our attorneys, they like to eat beluga caviar. And so they got a bill to keep that habit in play for them and their, and their spouse. So they're going to be billing out and they're going to burn that policy up and we're going to get done with this dance and there's not going to be anything left. So do you want a million dollars today or do you want to go to battle on this? They took the million bucks. Now, another party who was a joint defendant in this situation wasn't so fortunate because he had no structuring, did not adopt the principles that, that we endorse and we tell our clients to implement. And as a result of that, his insurance policy was not enough. In fact, he had to pay beyond the policy and they held his feet to the fire. And it's really sad that this occurred because just a few tweaks we could have done to his assets and whenever would have happened. How many years of litigation did he get to enjoy before they finally settled that second? Uh, until he died, actually, because uh, it went on for about seven years. They settled. He didn't pay. They went after him. I mean, there's just a lot of things that went through this. And he ended up finally dying and they brought a claim against the estate. Yeah, but folks, just if there's one thing I could say, and in Clint's articulating it really well, is to kind of stay out of harm's way to avoid it. Avoid lawsuits. They're drained financially, uh, emotionally. You know, I'm not saying that that's what killed the the gentleman, but if he passed away, there's a good chance that it, it helped bring about a the earlier demise. Just the stress of it, to, uh, like four or five years of litigation. I can't even imagine seven years. You're, you're, that's just that's just crazy. And then, of course, they're not done. They're going to go after the estate and get a few more years. Lawyers are going to make the money. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm I'd be surprised if the uh, the actual victim of whatever occurred received, uh, you know, uh, the same amount that the lawyers did. I think the lawyers always win in these situations. So Clint, you laid out some pretty good ideas on how to avoid that. And you give us good information on the Corporate Transparency Act and how to avoid some of the state's nasty surprises. But you did mention repeatedly something called the Tax and Asset Protection Event. What is the cost to attend that? And how does somebody sign up? Well, the investment to attend is completely nothing. This is one of those things that, you know, we've really built our practice around is giving information to individuals that are watching us right now because we believe so strongly in the education concept. So we don't run into people at our events that come up to us with that story that they started out doing well and then they lost it all. And so to sign up for the event, it's really simple. All you got to do is you go to in the show notes. We got a link right there. You click on it. It's a one-day event. We, we start off in the morning. We're going to talk all about uh, asset protection, show, talk about these trust things that I was discussing, privacy, limited liability companies. In the afternoon, Toby's going to come on, and he's just going to bowl you over with the amount of tax savings you will recognize or realize when you're actually doing proper planning. I mean, it's available to everyone, these tax strategies that Toby covers, and, and they're the best strategies that our tax department has come up with. And it's sad that more people aren't implementing them. 
Yeah, I agree. There's lots of incentives in there uh, in the Internal Revenue Code that will incentivize certain behavior. One of the behaviors that they really want to incentivize is investment. And so, yeah, that's you hear about these politicians screaming that somebody didn't pay tax. It's it's dollars to donuts that they were investing in real estate because the incentives are that strong to help provide housing, which we're really behind in the housing. Like if you want to you know, get, let's get our crystal ball out. We're about 5 million units behind in this country and the builders are not building right now. Uh, so it's only going to get worse. So what does that mean? The demand is going to continue to increase. You can be part of the solution or you can be part of the problem. So the solution is let's build more housing. Let's buy properties. Let's be investors and let's make sure that there's enough housing available to folks that, uh, that they could use. So awesome. Free. I get to go to the tax and asset protection event. Uh, I know that we also touch on a little bit of legacy planning, which is always great, but uh, I just really appreciate your time, Clint. And I think that you nailed all the big points that people need to be aware of in 2023, especially starting out. Uh, anything else you want to add? Hey guys, if you haven't been to our event yet, I highly encourage you to do that. Not only are you going to hear us talking and teaching the event, we're also going to have a team of attorneys and tax professionals there that will answer your individualized questions. And that's what makes the events not only highly educational, but they're highly specific to you as the viewer, because we want to make sure that not only you're taking what we're, we're t discussing uh, while we're teaching the event, but you're able to apply it to your individual situation. And that's what our attorneys and tax professionals will do for you when you join us. Well said. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 